find a real problem, just a real, find a real problem um, and start making something that solves even some portion of it. But if it was one thing, it's just find a real problem. You know, you can tell it's a real problem because people are willing to pay for it. People are paying to try to solve it already, mm. that sort of thing. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur, as well as the founder and uh, managing partner of Miller IP Law. Um, I will uh, be walking through today another great journey of uh, another uh, guest on the podcast, Travis, and uh, I'll give you a quick introduction, but he'll do a much better introduction than I can ever give. Um, so Travis uh, was a uh, sales engineer for a period of time at... Uh, Rainforest QA and was in San Francisco and doing uh, different uh, crowd testing and left that and had a good journey. And now he has um, been doing uh, writing some code, working with accelerators, traveling on mobile and all sorts of uh, interesting things going on. Um, so he will uh, by far give a much better intro than that. But welcome to the podcast, Travis. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. So I gave a short intro. Let's uh, have you start the uh, beginning of your journey and tell you or give uh, everybody a little bit more of an introduction to yourself and kind of where you came from and where you're at. Yeah, sort of step zero where I like to start is before all this, I was a pilot. I owned a, a, a small flight school. So that was my first serial, like serious entrepreneurial thing that I did. Uh, after that, I decided I want to be a software engineer. So I think I'm kind of here jumping already, and I know yeah. you barely got talking on your journey. So you go from a pilot, which, you know, that's an exciting, and at least it sounds exciting. I've never actually piloted it, but I've been in airplanes. Uh, but you go from a pilot to, you know, to doing software engineer coding. Um, how did you make, what caused that transition? Because they both seem to be fairly different or distinct, or there isn't a lot of commonality. So how did you make that jump or decide to go from being a pilot and doing a flight school to going over to coding? Yeah, they are pretty different. Um, I liked them both. So I was flying for a living, mostly teaching, uh, teaching people from scratch. I was also doing some aerobatics. I would teach people how to do a loop and a spin, mm. uh, that that sort of stuff. And one of my students oh, actually on his no first solo. A loop and a spin and doing all sorts of crazy, but it was just <laughs> commonplace. Yeah, it was the base. I mean, I have, I have some friends who are serious, serious, serious aerobatic pilots, so mm. I don't like to act like I'm in that crowd. Uh, one of my students was on his first solo and he went off the runway uh, in, in my airplane and mm. crash is, is, is a strong word um, he was fine the airplane wasn't so fine just like a dented up wing and um, flight school is tough it's a tough business and I figured that I'd rather um, be a software engineer for a living uh, and fly for a hobby Versus what I was doing at the time was the, was the opposite, flying for a living and just software for a hobby. Okay. So you decided, basically, so did you have coding experience, I assume, at that point that you're saying, okay, you're doing flight school, but you've also done some coding, know that you enjoy it, know that you like it. Did that kind of start out as a hobby or how did you decide, I like coding better, you know, and I want to do flight school as a hobby? Yeah, that was it. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but seemed sort of fun, uh, picked up a book, actually started in PHP. Um, so I was always making websites. I, I made websites for small businesses for a while, um, restaurants, gyms, that sort of thing. Mm. And then I kind of messed around 
for almost a year. There, there's a little time in between these that I don't talk about too much where I was, I was like managing this bag factory uh, to make bags for the medical industry. Um, and also went back, I worked as a waiter a little bit and I was working uh, as a cocktailer at a bar, which is a good job when I was learning to cook because I could work like a six hour shift or something from like 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. and then before and after I was coding. Hmm. Left, even then kind of left that job and studied full-time for a few months, switched over to Python. And I just like full-time was studying and interviewing and then ended up at a company in San Francisco. Okay. So you started, started programming, decided I'm not going to do flight school anymore. Started coding, started working. Did you jump right into your own startup or did you work for, and I think you said, did you work for a, a company for a while? And, you know, what was that transition? How did you decide going to a big company to doing your own startup? What was that kind of part of the journey? Yeah, there's, there's a lot in between because I uh, worked, worked, the company's called House Canary, and I decided that I wanted to get more experience. I mean, I've been doing kind of my own thing up to this point, but I wanted to get some, like, real company experience. And House Canary was cool. They're still going. Uh, when I started, there was, like, 25 people now I think it's around 200 or something. They've, they've grown a good amount. It's a great place to have that first job. After that, I, I worked for Coinbase for a bit just to change it up and was working there right during the boom of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been searching for what the right thing for me was for a long time. Uh, after Coinbase, I was doing algorithmic trading full time. So I would just write Python scripts that would uh, trade cryptocurrency. And that went well. And that's when I really started traveling. A lot of that time I was in uh, Colombia and I went, went to Thailand at that same time. Hmm. And so after that, uh, I realized that I didn't really like doing that because it, it was kind of cool and offered a huge like amount traveling? of independence. Was it fun to go see the world? No, the traveling is good. The work I didn't like. Uh, it's uh, very lonely work. And I, I really should have gotten more people kind of involved. I think I was worried about throwing other people's money into the crypto markets, or if I take on another partner, what if they just kind of run off of the code, which is more of a concern with algorithmic trading versus like hiring someone for a startup, because the code's kind of everything. Mm. So I decided I want to switch it up again uh, and work at a job where I spent all my time talking to people. And so that's where the sales engineer thing came from. Like, look, I've done a little sales and some other jobs and also, you know, owning my own business, there's sales in that. Um, but it seemed easier to break in as a as a sales engineer versus you know like an account executive cold emailing people that was that was the last thing i wanted to do so that's how i ended up at rainforest okay so you you decided hey i'm gonna i I'm, i want to be a people person which is basically the exact opposite of i want to be a, a coder that you know or a or do cryptocurrency where i'm you know i always have the idea that you're locked in a room and you're doing a whole bunch of coding but you got to travel the world. So at least that was fun. But you decided I'm going to flip that. I want to be more of a people person or have that human interaction and that touch. So then you went over and you did the, uh, you went and did sales engineer. And then uh, tell me, you know, so then when, where did you go from there? So you went to sales engineer and did that for a while. And then what happened or what was the next step in the, in the journey? Yeah. So I was at Rainforest for about a year. Um, and that's when I was doing a lot of traveling. So half that time I was in Mexico, half in Colombia, and I guess, the other half in Europe. Wait, uh, that, that's of, three half. <laughs> that adds up to more than a whole. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of rounding things off. It was like six months in Colombia, <laughs> only a month in Europe. Um, but Mexico, Mexico was cool. Lots of diving in Mexico. And Rainforest, when I was there, I'd been there for like six months. And 
they laid off two thirds of, of the company. I stuck around, one of the only sales people that kind of kept around. And I was like the last salesperson for a long time. The other two guys like bounced, you know, they got real sales jobs because they changed things up. So that's kind of a longer story. Hmm. It didn't work out at Rainforest anymore. There wasn't, they were moving off of what I want to do, which is real high touch sales, like spending all of your time talking to people that kind of were pivoting the direction of the company and everything. So in December, I stopped working there because uh, they asked me to. And they, <laughs> that works out well. You <laughs> they didn't want you to, so there you go. Yeah, exactly. It was, they they started it actually, and um, just just a random thing. It was that was like a week before Christmas, and then I got uh, dengue fever because I was hanging out in the jungles in Mexico, scuba diving. Huh. So it was pretty rough, uh, and I had some time to do some introspection. And what came out of that was uh, that I wanted to to start a startup. I had everything on the spreadsheet. I went through like, I think it was two weeks total and I kind of phased it out. I had introspective periods. I took personality tests. I just, and everything was in play. I'm like, do I want to go back to being a pilot? Do I want to be a software engineer? Do I want to be a magician full time? Hmm. Every, like there's nothing off the table and uh, starting the startup one. So then I went to Mexico city and I spent a few months kicking around ideas, simultaneously trying ideas, seeing if I could find a co-founder, figuring out more in detail what I wanted to do. Mm. And this current idea was the best one that came out of that. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So maybe for everybody else that doesn't know, what's the current idea or what did you land on? Yeah, so it's uh, managing data for testing web applications. Hmm. It's a pretty niche thing, uh, but the reason I landed on that it was actually one of the first things that I did, but I wanted to just try more ideas. Uh, it was a huge problem when I worked at Rainforest for prospects, um, for, for current customers. And the, the basic thing is, how do, you get, how do you get your application ready for testing with the scenarios that you want? And then after you do your testing, which kind of leaves the database in a mess usually, how do you reset it back? And there's some tools out there. Most people are doing homegrown stuff. They're writing their own scripts. It's really hard to use or super expensive. You know, not something that you want to have your average QA engineer working with. So if I were to maybe, and not to mean, dumb it down to people by level <laughs> or make it into a more plainer English version of it. So managing data. So, and, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I understand it, when you run an application, or at least for some applications, you're going to need to have data that you can run through and make sure that you put it through the paces, make sure that it can handle the load, that it acts correctly, that you catch all the edge cases or cases that aren't the normal cases but may come up. And so you're trying to do a lot of different things with data when you're testing it in order to make sure that you, don't, that you break the application and testing and fix it rather than when it gets out in the field and customers are actually using it and then you have a much bigger problem. And so what you're doing, if I, if I maybe summarize it right, you're helping the people to manage their data that you're used for to all of that testing so that rather than having to write code that you know, only catches some things or doesn't actually catch the edge cases of those things, rather you're managing that data so that we can make sure that the, the software gets adequately tested. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, yeah, that is. And, you know, just out of it, with data, people think of it as this maybe big data and this fancy thing. It can be something really simple. So if you have a shopping website, uh, and let's say you have a QA engineer, you want to manually test it before you send that new version of the, of the code out. 
well, first of all, you don't want to do it in your production environment because if you buy shoes, well, they're going to, shoes are going to get, you know, sent to people. So you need to do it in some sort of testing environment. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, how do you have stuff in the inventory for the QA engineers to add? Maybe if you, when you're done with all your tests, all of your shopping carts are empty. Well, it'd be nice to have shopping carts that are full uh, so you can kind of run a test of what happens if there's 100 items in the shopping cart. That's where I'm coming in. So you can just use the application like normal, no coding, get it ready for testing, uh, do your whole testing run with your manual engineers or something like Rainforest. Those are automated external testing services. And then do your cleanup afterwards. Hmm. So now if I were to take that and say so you just, you landed on, you went around and a few, any other crazy ideas? So you're trying to come up with the idea, you landed on this one. Do you, do you have any ones that you either are the crazy ideas that would never would have worked or you got in, or you, I'm usually the opposite of, I always have the ideas that I always want to revisit. I still think they're great ideas that I never had the time to pursue, but I always put that in my someday pile. So is there any ones that are in your someday pile or in the crazy idea pile that maybe someday you'll go back to? Oh, yeah, there's a pile of them. A lot of them just didn't feel like the right time. Um, one was machine, using machine learning to figure out the behaviors between different sales development representatives to figure out what actually makes um, what makes them successful or not. What are the difference makers? And then ultimately, that was going to extrapolate to all employees. So, like, what are the differences between a good employee and a bad employee or if you change things? And something... I just couldn't get into it. I worked on it for about a month and I found it technically interesting, but I just couldn't really get into it. And I felt like maybe it's not a serious enough problem. And that was in like February. And then by March, I had been talking to a bunch of sales development representatives. And then all of them on LinkedIn were like, like many SDRs, I've lost my job. Um, so I kind of dodged a bullet on that one because I was going to sell them to a market that just got wiped out. Using junior engineers to write tests uh, for code. Again, it's kind of a testing theme. Mm. Another one was auto generation of code. So you just put in some basic stuff like the test. So very, um, very code based. You know, what changed things a lot was I have a friend who's really good mobile developer. We were kind of talking about doing stuff together. I was going to come back to the U.S. for two weeks and visit a bunch of my friends who run different small businesses, wineries. Mm. Um, like cannabis growers, uh, pilots, all, all, and because I wanted to go into some really underserved market like that. Mm. And that was scheduled for like March 15th. And like this, the, there was no way I was going to do my genius tour of the Western United States in the middle of the lockdown. So I mm. kind of ended up with what I knew. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense. So these after all those crazy ideas, and I, I like the idea. I actually think the one idea was cool that, hey, you can figure out what makes a good salesperson and what they do differently and how they close sales. And I, I still think that's a good one. You should come back to that or uh, or somebody else will come back to it at some point, I'm sure. Um, but now you just you landed on what you're doing today. You decided, okay, I'm going to manage basically, you know, all of the data that's used for quality assurance and for testing and whatnot. You just get that startup going and how's it gone? So how has it been since you've got that going? You're working on it, launched it, minimal viable product. You know, I think that when we talked before, you kind of did a quick minimally viable product that was last month, but maybe what, you know, how has that gone for you or where are you at today and, and what's the, the next steps? Yeah, what I have out right now um, at highlycomposite.com is, is really a free, you could say MVP, almost a prototype. 
and it does a very basic thing, which is just database snapshotting. Mm. So it can like freeze the database and then sort of unfreeze it. Now I'm working on the next, uh, the next big features, which I'm trying to figure out. It's looking like that's going to be data multiplication. So you put, you put one thing in manually, you know, like one shoes in the, in the shopping cart. Um, and you're like, well, I actually want that to be a hundred or one user account. And then you want it to be a hundred user accounts. Hmm. So that's working on what I'm working on. I'm going to be kind of laying low and just talking to customers and doing development, um, maybe for about the next six months. I think I'm going to go back to Mexico to maybe Oaxaca, um, real cheap down there, a lot cheaper than trying to go back to San Francisco or something. No, I, I think, that, yeah, I can't, there's not a whole lot of places more expensive in the world than San Francisco. So by that standard, if you put that as <laughs> anything else looks cheap to compare to that, other than maybe like New York or Tokyo or somewhere of that nature. Um, yeah. Did that. So, you know, so if that's the plan and you're going to say, okay, kind of got my minimally viable product or at least the first kind of pro, or beta product launch, you're going to work on that. So are you doing, is it this full-time devotion? Is it a side hustle? How do you, you know, how do you support yourself when you go down to Mexico and party or you work or do the coding in the meantime? You know, how do you kind of balance those things as you're trying to get the product up and going and launch? Yeah, I'm on it uh, full-time. And that's, that's really important to me. I've tried to do stuff before, like side hustle or part-time and things like that. And that worked great for some people. Um, I'm a pretty all or nothing kind of, kind of person. Um, so even when I went to school, I didn't do that great in school, but then after when everyone else went to high school, I did EMT school, I did pilot school. Um, and I killed it in those cause it would just be like three weeks and all I needed to do was be an EMT. And that, that was great. I can't do the like class, you know, math class, English afterwards, stuff like that. Mm. So yeah, long answer. I'm, I'm on it full time and it's a lot of fun, uh, you know, supporting myself. I have some cash save up and I just keep to spend real low so I, i'm in carmel right now and i'm staying with family uh i've raised some a little bit of money like friends and family around looking to do more probably in in july hmm. okay so then one question i thought was interesting we talked to, or talked to a little bit just slightly switching gears um before the show we talked a little bit about um you know how did you so it seems like i would have absolutely and i'm not at all well versed in this state you know how to go and find those customers or how to say hey here are the people that are wanting to do the you know use that or use the data have data management in order to make sure you test it how did you go about finding those or finding those clients or you know how what's that process been to try and find those people that it is a pain point for or those people that are looking for your service well the good thing is i was pretty immersed in that world so i was able to to reach out to people right away uh so i started with old coworkers um, from Rainforest. So people who knew, you know, they knew the QA space really well. Um, and, you know, some people from House Canary that I, that I worked with, people that I had sold to at Rainforest, and then kind of second degree out from there, you know, got referrals, who else, you know, who else might be interested in it, that sort of thing. And then I've had pretty good luck, like cold emailing on whatever, on LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, and then I've even randomly hit people up on, on Reddit. And I, I just, I really believe it's so important to talk to a lot of users, talk to users frequently, make sure that you're doing the right thing. It's so important. If you can't do that, um, you shouldn't start the startup that you're thinking about hmm. because it, it's like, if you can't even get anyone to talk to, how are you going to sell this thing? How do you 
know what to make the right thing. It's, so you, you got to pick one of those things, either make something different or um, figure out a way to talk to some people. No, I think that's, if you're getting it into a startup, you have to either have someone on the team, or if you're doing it on your own, be able to figure out, or, you know, be willing to approach people and, and to reach out and, and get outside your comfort zone because a lot of a startup is figuring out who your customer is, talking with potential customers, getting the first ones on board. And even if you're, you know, the most geeky or, you know, nerdy engineer, and I, I'd say that because that's more of what I am, you still have to get outside your bubble in the sense that you have to find those people that are going to be your clients or that want to, or going, that are your clients and be able to sign them up. So I think that, that's a good, good thought. So now we've kind of reached as we get towards the, towards the end of the podcast. And we, I always hit on two questions towards the end of the, the podcast. So maybe we'll jump to those now. So the, the first question I always ask is, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Um, I think the, the worst one was after, um, after my airplane was crashed, I didn't, um, I didn't just try to fix that airplane again. I tried to get like a, that one was totaled and then I bought it back and then I resold it. And rather than just fix it, I tried to get this like kind of bigger, fancier airplane. Mm. And I had someone who said he would loan me the money to buy um, the, the bigger, fancier airplane. Uh, and then I put a deposit on like the new airplane. And then after that, he wanted a whole bunch more details and, then it was suddenly all conditional. You know, he wanted the whole business plan versus that, oh yeah, I'll, I'll lend you the money. So, you know, I ended up losing money on the deposit and that kind of accelerated some of the problems with the flight school. And the, the sort of short version of that is counting it as having money in the bank before, before I really did. Now I just, I don't think of the money existing at all until it's in my bank account. No, and that reminds me of almost kind of on the, the, the law side and working with clients. And, you know, we always work with a lot of startups and small businesses and we do free strategy sessions where we'll talk with them and you get a lot of people that are excited and say, yeah, we'd like to get going. And well, some of them do. So, I mean, and not saying all against the clients, but then you'll get some that say they'll want to get started, but never do. And so I've always kind of similarly come to point, hey, once there's actually invoices paid, money in the bank, or they, I count them as a client until then there's kind of still a potential client that'd love to help it. You know, until the money's in the bank, it's a much different scenario as far as how you proceed versus when you have that in the bank, you're able to proceed forward. So I think that's both a, a good lesson learned. And I think it's one that uh, has a lot of value. So if we then jump to the second question that I always hit on, which is now if you're talking to somebody that was either just getting started in a startup or small business or wanting to get started, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? find a real problem just a real find a real problem um and start making something that solves even some portion of it but if it was one thing it's just find a real problem you know you can tell it's a real problem because people are willing to pay for it people are paying to try to solve it already mm. that sort of thing um and it, that's just one of those one of those mistakes that you make so early in the life of your company and it's so avoidable. So I think that's why it's like kind of the most important advice to keep in mind. It is amazing how many startups get made for problems that no one really has. <laughs> you can have the world's best mousetrap and if nobody has any mice problem, it's not going to do you any good. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And you can, you can figure that out ahead of time. Like, so that's, that's what's so almost like frustrating about it 
is this, it's an avoidable issue. Like you could just go out and do some like surveys and chats or whatever version, whatever to figure out like, wait, is this mouse thing? Like, does anyone even really care? Uh, you can do that very early with very little money, very little time. Don't leave it for a year or two down the road. Hmm. No, I, I, that's great advice. So, well, great. Well, I think those are two, uh, two lessons learned. One is that, Hey, you know, if, uh, don't count your chickens before they're hatched or don't plan on money before it's in the bank account. And two is bank finding a real problem. And I, I think that that one sometimes, you know, I always had the problem on that one. Uh, you get, you can almost start to drink your own Kool-Aid, right? And you think that you got a great idea that's really cool and exciting. And from a technical aspect and solving the problem, figuring out and making something, there's a lot of fun things there. And yet you know, it's almost always better to step back and say, but will people actually buy this? Will they actually want it? Not just because it's a cool technology or because I'm doing it much better than someone, but is there actually solving a problem, which I think is not cool technology is not always something that people will buy just because it's cool has to solve that problem. So I think that that's great advice. So, so for people that were wanting to reach out to you that want to get connected up, want to use your product, wanting to find out more or otherwise get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? Uh, Email is great. Travis at highlycomposite.com. Um, I'm also on, I don't know, most social media as Travis Jungroth, uh, J-U-N-G-R-O-T-H. I'm the only one. So if you if you see a Travis Jungroth, that's me. You're the, the only one in the world that has that that combination of names, huh? Well, that's a pretty that's yep. a pretty bold statement. Now now I'm gonna have to go with Google somebody and see if I can find a second one. Go look for him. It's a <laughs> it's a family name. It's it's we're you know came over to America and I don't maybe a Travis has been born since I last checked. <laughs> all right well I'll, i might have to take that as a challenge but i appreciate you coming on the podcast it's been fun to talk about your journey and how things are going um sounds like uh, you got plenty of things to go on in the future look maybe we'll have to catch up with you the next time when you're in mexico and see how things continue to go um in the meantime good luck with your journey um for those of you that are uh, in your own journey and want to come on into the podcast and tell your story um feel free to apply to be a guest at the in, or inventivejourney.com and for those of you that are enjoyed the podcast, feel free to subscribe uh, either on YouTube or on any of the podcast platforms. We'd love to have you a subscriber and so you can get uh, updates on the new episodes. And for those of you that are looking for a uh, patent and trademark attorney, um, we're happy to help you at Miller IP Law. We love to help start up some small businesses. So thanks again, Travis, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to uh, talk through your journey, hear how things are going, and look forward to the, ne or to the next step of your journey. Thanks, Evan. It's been a blast. All right. Until the next time.